Hello, my name is Michael D'Aloya, and you're listening to the Startup Lakewood Podcast. This podcast explores the trials and tribulations of Rust Belt entrepreneurs who are taking the risks and defying expectations in the great city of Lakewood, Ohio. Entrepreneurs enjoy this open, liberal, individualistic, yet supportive city. While we're not as large as our next-door neighbor, Cleveland, it doesn't mean our entrepreneurs don't have dynamic stories. They do. And this podcast captures the great giving spirit of our citizens. Today, we talk with Todd Mezik, the Oracle. Todd is this, you know, great, insightful cat who can see the macro trends swirling all around us. He can then provide insightful and actionable strategies around them. As Chief Marketing Officer of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he challenged the tired tropes of rock and roll and made the hall a national treasure. He's now doing the same with our public TV and radio stations at IdeaStream. He is the go-to guy for insightful ideas. So let's listen in to his story. Todd, I want to thank you for being in studio today and talking to us at uh, Startup Lakewood Podcast. You've had a pretty wild career, man, and I'm just... I was just hoping that you would give our listeners a little flavor of your of your past, professional past. I love looking back, you know, because you don't see things that are right in front of you. But when there's certain transitions or you have the opportunity to look back, it's like, that, okay, that was, that was kind of cool. And really, frankly, you know, coming out of school and figuring out what do you want to do with your life, at the time it felt like maybe something I wouldn't admit to myself. But now I'm really happy and proud of it. I wanted to work someplace cool. I wanted to be around cool people. I wanted to be doing something that was fun. <laughs> it's a great, you know, litmus test to have. Yeah. Give and, me the cool. But I think if maybe, you know, my 20-year-old self would wouldn't have admitted that out loud or maybe even to myself because it sound, sound like, you know, not ambitious enough that you wanted, you know, you had to have. But that's, you know, looking back. And I, so coming out of school, I... I uh, wanted to work for an ad agency. A good friend of mine had this theory that there's, you know, there's creative people, but there's this also kind of like second tier of creative people that might not be, you know, the artist or the musician, but they just have a, a connection to it. And maybe they're a, a writer or, or maybe they have some other skills, but they have a need to be around those kind of people. And the advertising agency environment gave me that where I was, you know, working in a cool space working around people that were interesting, whether they were just a little bit eccentric mm-hmm. or they were bringing in music or books or movies that I wouldn't have heard otherwise or wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't know where to go. I've always, some of it's by design, but some of it's just by sheer luck that had people in my life that were, they, they served the function of introducing me to stuff that I didn't know already. Books, literature, movie, sound. And the agency was was really really um, ripe for that, and I did that for um, I did that for about ten years. I worked for a couple different agencies, then went to a one of the agencies was a digital agency, and that was a whole lot of fun because it was when really digital was emerging, and and we're doing um, you know really cool cutting edge stuff, which was a new space for everyone. Well, let's talk about that digital agency because that digital agency was Vantage One, and which was run by Dan Rose, Tim Mueller both of whom I know, solid cats, both of them. Just talked with Dan a few days ago. And that, that was a freight train because they sold that for $150 million, you know, and the number is just ridiculous, for especially for Cleveland back then. 
What was it like working in that space? What was great about that is, so I'd worked with Dan and got to know Dan and Tim on the agency side. I was working for Wise Advertising, and we had a couple clients that were saying, look, we know that there's territory in this digital space that, that we don't know, and we know you don't know, but <laughs> but we'll put money into it right. because you're our agency, and we want you to grow with us. And, you know, I'm a young 20-something, you know, I'm like, right, let's go. Most agencies at that time are structured to, you know, financially, TV is still where it's at. That's where the profit margin is. And so there's a little bit of a sell inside to say, look, I've got this opportunity where our clients are saying, we'll, we'll put, you know, kind of skunk works, kind of experimental money out towards you for you guys to get smart. And... You know, a lot of times the agency's reaction is, um, that's great, do that, but get them on TV. I mean, I had one client that it took me a long time, it took me a year, and they weren't likely to get on TV because of the nature of their business, but I got them on TV. And, like, and you know, so we kind of, along the way, got the agency to buy in and, and um, recognize the, the importance. And I think everybody recognized it, but putting resources behind it is different. And one of the quickest ways to do it was to farm it out. And at that point, Dan and Tim were growing their business, and they didn't necessarily want to be uh, front and center. They wanted to, you know, get their chops work. So the Vantage One was kind of our, you know, our, our um, you know, behind the scenes, didn't have a visible face. And work with these guys and developed a relationship with them. And the agencies, you know, um, that also had a really great culture there because it's, you know, like a, uh, a small, nimble digital space. And so, I don't know, a couple years later, just keep talking to Dan and Tim and we keep, you know, talking back and forth. You want to come over? Not yet. We're dancing around. And then at one point, I did. I did that for a few years and it was great because, you know, you're doing new things. I remember, you know, doing things for Kelly Services, you know, Carl Camden, who came from, the agency side in Cleveland was an old you know, a boss and a, certainly a mentor of mine. Ended up being the CEO and COO at uh, Kelly Services in Detroit. You know that was really ripe territory because they're in the recruiting business and the you know job placement. Kelly temporary, and it was great because they were moving from both a a big brand transition to try to take away some stigma of temp work and make it like contract employment, which, you know, now you see that really right. burgeoning. Now people are looking for that kind of, I don't want to work nine to five. I want to be, you know, have a, a lot of, lot of different things that I do. But that was, there was a little bit of a marketing branding challenge for Kelly. But at the same time, there's a really brass tacks day to day. We've got to figure out how we solve the problem of, millions and millions of dollars in daily classified ads to try to get people. And this web thing is like right for us. So we did some really cool things for Kelly. So, so, you know, Vantage One was doing some things and, 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 um, you know, on the bleeding edge and sometimes it was bleeding and, and, but it was always on the edge and it was always new and they were creative and it was just a great environment to cut your digital chops. Were you there when they sold the company? I was not. I left, I got the opportunity at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I, I don't remember the exact time in, but it was just before that. This high profile. I should have stayed and got a piece of that. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Those guys were just always fun. I think yeah. they set a good tempo and culture. And we'll get back to culture as this kind of reoccurring theme during the podcast. You, you, you end up at the Rock Hall, and you have this high profile position. How do you, how do you balance the complicated whims of rock and roll and the personalities involved therewith? The only way you can is to use that as, you know, energy. The passion, the the craziness of it. 
I can give you countless examples of things that we had in place at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that, you know, you had a plan. And something, you'd get this out of left field factor. And it could be a variety of things. It could be because Yoko called. It could be because, you know, something changed. In the moment, it, there is, of course, that natural human reaction. Like, what do you, what do we, come on. Like, but in a day when, you know, agile is a respected and, and, you know, desirable trait and people are, you know, learning how to force that kind of decision-making. Right. And you're realizing, I've seen it countless ways and a conversation came up this week even that, you know, when the idea comes up, when a new idea comes up, you know, people are just trying to manage their their workload and their day-to-day. And sometimes that's hard for even the, the, the best people to adjust to that, that out of left field thing. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame had these opportunities with both artists, but also, I'll just say people in the broadest sense of the word. It could be supporters, it could be visitors, it could be members, it could be fans, it could be a lot of different, you know, audiences, the artists included. You, you got passion around that. And you can, you know, if you if you see that the that a wind that you didn't anticipate all of a sudden, you know, starts getting some some more velocity, you gotta put those sails out and be able to change. And it's hard. Like I said, it's hard for the best people. I I'd like to think that, you know, I'm I'm wired that way, but I know, you know, truth be told, there's sometimes I gotta check myself and say, Look, all right, all right, just remember, I know this is I know we did all this <laughs> the other thing or we had right. a vision for this, but we gotta take advantage of this opportunity. So that is those whims, you know, you can, you can, um, you, you, there's a way to, to lean into it and to take advantage of a momentum and even build on it and make it an opportunity. Was the Rock Hall a client of Vantage One? I mean, how did this opportunity it, so come about? Technically it was, but I, it, that wasn't a factor really for me because before I was at Vantage One, the Vantage One did the first website for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, I'll tell you, the opportunity was was totally different. The Rock Hall, I can't remember it. I think they had had like some Chicago, like Leo Burnett or somebody was doing their work in between the time they launched the website and um, or, or the, the transition happened in between the time they launched the website and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the time that I joined Vantage One. So the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was like on our, um, you know, our client list and our case studies, but it wasn't necessarily a, a, an active account when I was there. A good friend of mine, um, Todd Thompson, who actually started a business with Dan Rose and um, Precision Dialogue, and they're doing a right. really good data analysis, a lot of direct marketing, a lot of uh, segmentation stuff that have, have, I've, I've used them. I've been a client of theirs and really smart people that are doing, you know, here in Cleveland that are doing uh, some fantastic work in, ter- in terms of taking the complexity of data and make it into something really usable for, for marketers. But Todd has for a long time been a, been a friend and a, and a mentor. He was, yeah, it wasn't necessarily, I was just talking to him. And, you know, at one point I was just thinking about out loud, you know, I don't know what my next move is. He said, what do you think about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I love music. I, um, not, not well, but I played in a band in high school. You know, like I, I've, right. I've always had music in my life. I'm a kind of a, a hack musician. I would say I always want to play guitar in the worst way, and I succeeded at that. <laughs> so he, he brings up the idea of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I, like, just... You know, I'm a fan. I'm. I love Cleveland. I love what it means, but hadn't really thought of it as a place to work. Tell me more. 
And it turns out that he is interviewing for this job. He's, it's a marketing position. This is, I don't know, like four years into the history of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he's interviewing for a position, and it's just not quite the, it's not quite where he needs to be. He's got a, a wife, he's got two young kids, he's got, you know, a mortgage. I have none of those things at the time. And they're looking for someone that knows digital, knows research, and knows an agency. And my career had I'd only worked at ad agencies before that, at, at Wise Advertising. I, I cut my teeth in the account planning and the research department, so I was, you know, steeped in that. And I was currently working for a digital agency, so I'm like, that's, you know, that's my resume. He was, turns out he was interviewing for this, but he wasn't, it wasn't the right fit for him. And he was bowing out and I think felt, you know, a little bit like I'm, I'm you know, stepping out at the last minute and maybe feels just a little bit of guilt and tells them no and says, but I've got a, a person who might be a good fit. And I'm, you know, 10 years younger and 10 years cheaper than him and kind of makes that introduction and it was serendipitous. And I, you know, when you were talking earlier about, hey, you know, your career and how do you plan these things out? You know, I think like a lot of people, it just happens sometimes. You know, you'd right. like to think. In fact, Tim Mueller told me something, or uh, used the phrase, or, or in some conversation that always stuck with me, that he said, "Be in position to be in position," and it's like that. You know, be ready, be prepared. Um, and there's some Chinese proverb that says, you know, luck is about being there. I'm not going to articulately say it, but it's about being ready and setting yourself up for that. But I think that, you know, some of it is just a little bit of luck, a little bit of karma, a little bit of being in the right place, a little bit about having relationships with people. And those things happen. And and that's, I feel like fortunate to, you know, have worked at Wise Advertising, to have worked at Vantage One, to have worked at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and now to work at IdeaStream. It's great background on, on how you got to the Rock and Roll. But what was that one moment at the Rock Hall where you were like, yeah, man, this is freaking rock and roll. Shoot, man, there's a million of them. Because sometimes it's things that we're doing. Sometimes it's the people, the, the vibe, the energy, the people inside. Sometimes it's, a, you know, an experience with the artist. Sometimes, you know, there's some induction moments. So I don't know if I can name one, but just like as, I'm, as you're asking that question, the, the film's running through my head. At the inductions one year, you can imagine the, the day of inductions. And inductions is a you know, preparing for that, that monster to come to Cleveland is, it's a, it's a year and a half, you know, effort on top of your day job. Right. And as you get closer to, you know, Saturday night, you know, week by week, you get closer, the amount of activity. And then, and especially in the last moments, there's just a bunch of little things that need to get done. Just the fine points, the, the, the connections that need to be made. So that day, Usually there's, you know, the, the days leading up to inductions and you're just running crazy and you're running on adrenaline. And I remember sitting in public hall, there's sound checks and, you know, there's, there's people that are loading, you know, monitors on stage. There's people that are setting tables. There's, you know, the jibs are, are being, you know, moved into position and lights are being hung. And there's just a, a cacophony of activity going on around about you. And people are, you know you know, looking at their phones and, you know, typing out texts and, and emails and, and just, just, you know, just everyone's just in this, like, this buzz of, of activity. But you got a lot of little minutiae and little things that need to be done. And I remember sitting on, and I'm about, you know, 15 feet from the stage, and caterers are moving tables around me, and I'm looking at my phone just trying, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm sending an email, I'm sending a text. 
this is sound check and I hear from the stage this gorgeous voice and says, ain't no sunshine. When... <laughs> and it's like the voices, like that is a voice, right? And I look up and in sweats, you know, 20 feet from me is Stevie Wonder warming up to for the performance of Ain't No Sunshine. It's He's inducting Bill Withers that night. He's, he's you know, getting ready. But to just be in that kind of an intimate space. Right. And Stevie wouldn't, wouldn't know my voice if you heard it, but you're there and you're close and you're part of that. And it's, and it's magical. And I had a similar experience walking into the same space, public hall, when Metallica was being inducted. And I walked in as they were just rehearsing for sound checks and and to be honest with you some of the sound checks were some of the most magical moments you know even even more than the the induction itself because there's a little bit more intimacy to it but i remember walking into the the space and i hear you know the opening to um it not just not the opening to but the like the power introduction to uh sandman by metallic and just to hear that you know that i'm not going to try to sing that one because i won't <laughs> hit it that high but to to hear that just and hear that power but along the way, you know, there's moments that you have, like where, where you know, somebody like Graham Nash or um, Smokey Robinson, they have a, a real beauty to them because they, those two in particular stand out to me because they understand the power of their celebrity. They take the time not only to accept a conversation or a request for an autograph or a, a photo, but they maybe even go out of their way. And Graham Nash at one point was telling stories at an event he did at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where he was a, a young kid and, and he was um, camping out of the hotel of the Everly Brothers. They were famous. He was nobody. But they struck up a conversation and the, the Phil and Don kind of like let them in, you know, listen to them. They actually built a relationship. But they were known at the time. And I think that always stuck with Graham Nash that those guys that were famous just took the time. Graham Nash was always, you know, he'd done it. He was a really good friend of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I remember, you know, if we were prepping him for media interviews or, you know, asking him to do something, he'd go in and say, you know, Mr. Nash. And, was, you know, more than once he said, it's okay. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you need me to say, you know, I'll, I'll just tell me what's important to you, who I need to see. And he would take care of, you know, really important people, whether it's in the media or, or you know, supporters. But he would also grab the security guy and say, you know, hey, you didn't get a picture. You want a picture? And Smokey Robinson was the same way. And, and that's really, like, that's a really beautiful moment. You feel like as big as these people are, they're still, like, they, they not only are they, you know, they're nice, they're, they're, they're friendly, but they, they get it. They get, they get what they mean to the rest of us. And they're like, all right, I'm not going to take that for granted because, you know, who I am is different than my celebrity, but I have a little bit of, I, I think they feel a little bit of an obligation to pay it back and don't see it as a bother. Although I'm sure it's a bother, you know, if they, you can't be in a restaurant and without being bugged, you know, <laughs> exactly. but they, but they get it. So, you know, those are some magical moments, certainly the people there and just all the times and, and all that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame means for Cleveland, like the economic impact, the, the visibility, the marketing marquee that it is for our town. That was a big draw going, my love for music, but also just what this, what that place means as an icon for the city of Cleveland. I just, I just love these behind-the-scenes stories that you provide for the Rock Hall, and not very, very many people get to see these really eclectic grand moments behind the scenes. And it gives some reflection. You've had great success in your career. But I'm also curious as to what 
you know, the best mistake you've made in your career? Oh, wow. That's a really, really profound question, Michael. It's, I'm sure I've made a lot of them. You know, of course, you try to learn from them. I would have to think about that one. But, you know, philosophically, I feel like, you know, I try to teach my kids this, that you, when you make a mistake, you know, and at the risk of sounding cliche, it's everyone makes mistakes. It's what you do after the mistake that, you know, matters. I, I think about that with my children, you know, that, that like you're going you're gonna to fall or you're going to do something that, that hurts somebody or that, you, you know, you're in a moment of, you know, passion or, 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 or spontaneity, you do something that you regret later, but, you know, you go back and say you're sorry. So, you know, I know that, that there's plenty of times that, that I've made a mistake, but I, I would have to think about that, you know, in a, in a, in a, to really think about a specific example. But what I'll tell you is that I have come to, like, really appreciate the, the power of the collaboration and just being having the right people in the room to talk about ideas, to bat ideas around, to challenge each other. And that's, you know, that's a little bit getting to the culture conversation because you need to have a right kind of personality where people don't feel threatened, that they don't feel like their ideas or, or, or their selves are being challenged, but that you're sparring a little bit and, and you're working together to come out with an idea. And then there is some idea that comes from someone that has a different perspective from a different, you know, skill set or different set of goals, you know, whether that's their, their job title or just, you know, what they see on a day-to-day basis or their job responsibilities or, or where they, they, uh, what they do on a day-to-day basis. But that, you know, getting those ideas and those, those, um, the right people in the room for like these short power conversations, this spar around some ideas, I just always find and have come to have a stronger appreciation for it over time that those, the best ideas are going to come. So, you know, in, in terms of maybe it's not necessarily the, 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 the greatest mistake, but just having the ability to not be married to your own idea, right. um, to be willing to let it go and save it for later or just let it go, period. <laughs> So, very curious, how do you chill? You've got a lot of activity going on. You obviously were at the Rock Hall for many years. Now you've taken another leap of faith, and you've moved over to the Idea Center and WVIZ and all that other great stuff in that, in that wonderful building, which, by the way, is the home of rock and roll. That's right. Because <laughs> Alan Freed coined that term while he was in that building on air. Yeah, it's, I, I like to think there's a little bit of profound serendipity there with, and I, I when I walk in that front door I don't quite you know put my hand to it like the Notre Dame sign but I think <laughs> okay that's right you know yeah so there's there's some there's some magic in this town there's some magic so how do you relax how do you take the edge off a couple things I just just more like just practically speaking I um I play with my kids I try to go to the gym especially running I'm to be clear, I'm not like a hardcore runner, but I'll go, you know, run 20 minutes fast on a treadmill, just enough to, you know, have some physical activity. I played, you know, sports when I was young. I don't just through schedules don't do that as much, but I it's I think it's important and I, and I notice it if I don't go to the gym, I don't run. It has an impact on your and I also feel like just physically you'll be tired and you'll sleep better. And, 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 um, so there's, there's a certain amount of physical, there's a physical element to chilling. I try to meditate every morning just to start the day in a calm space. And then I, 
you know, be with friends, be with family, try to travel. I have the my my wife Camilla. I'm blessed not only because she's an amazing partner, but she works for Emirates Airlines, so so she's got the the benefit of it's very easy for us to get on a plane. So we're on the brink of taking a big trip, and we're all busy at work and everything. And and last weekend, tickets to a rugby match in Chicago fall in our lap, and you know it's like like we just had three crazy weekends back to back. I don't even know if I've like got clean clothes and we're going to go on this big trip. And this is like, we need this weekend, right? Totally. We absolutely need this weekend to just get caught up. And this opportunity comes up and you're like, all right, let's go to Chicago. So that's, that's other, that's in the same on the word on my, uh, my, um, home front. It's the same kind of thing in my, in my head where I'm like, no, like I need to chill. (laughs) I need to get my clean. I need to, you know, do this in the house. I need to go to bed at a reasonable hour. I need to, you know, and, uh, she's a a great, uh, yin to my yang. And she's like, so we're going to Chicago. Yeah, we're going to Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) So the upside of that is that we spent time with friends and we took our kids to a rugby match and we had a glass of wine with some friends we hadn't seen in a while. And, um, I didn't do my, I didn't take my dry cleaning in and I didn't, uh, get the, the leaves raked. But, uh, so that that ends up being a way that that my spouse forces me to chill by just traveling, and it's a beautiful thing. That's great. You live in Lakewood, right? I do. And what are some of your your great experiences in the city of Lakewood? Oh, I love Lakewood. Lakewood is the perfect place for us for a couple reasons. One, just is practically speaking, you have these beautiful old old homes. Uh, that you know are hundred plus years old in, in most cases that have character, and you know to your chill question that that sense of place that my my home even when I had a one bedroom apartment where I come home is like I, I, that I need the right lighting I need the right aesthetic that's part of my relaxation the space is really important to me what it looks like even you know if it's I'm not it's not even about you know, expensive interior design. It's just about being a, a place of comfort. Mm-hmm. The character to the old Lakewood homes, and it's they're they're beautiful. You're also really close to the city. Between the Shoreway and 90, you know, you can get to the city. We're we're you know really fortunate to be able to live in a suburb and have a yard, which isn't for everyone, but that's what I like. And then be 10, 15 minutes from downtown. You're also very close to the airport. I can get to the you know the same time, 10 or 15 minutes, right. get to the airport, and that's important for us. And then, you know, over time of being in Lakewood for a number of years, you've got, you've always had a cool mix of tradition and whether you say eclectic or artsy or open-mindedness, you know, you always, I think for years, Lakewood was one of the most densely populated suburbs in the in the States and had a relatively... Uh, a high percentage of you know of a, of a gay culture. I remember going back to a few years back when Richard Florida and the creative class was really a kind of a, a really trending topic in Cleveland. That you know he talked about the Bohemian Bohemian Index, and I don't remember the exact factors, but it was like, does the community have whether you're talking about? I think in this case he was talking about metropolitan populations, not about specific suburbs, but it, I think it still applies. Are there? Are there immigrants? Are there people from other places? Are there is there a, a homosexual population? Are there biracial people? And when you have a mix of things like that, 
then you start to get a mix of different ideas and you have a little bit of creativity and you have different shops that show up. And then it starts to draw, you know, an economic element into it because people are like, oh, and you see that in Lakewood. You know, we had the Beck Center for years, but then we have these, you know, these you know, cool little shops that are uh, promoting a great restaurant scene, but also just like the people and the festivals. I think Lakewood Live does a, a great job in like, building the community and having things like the summer meltdown and, and and different arts festivals. Then, you know, you have those types of things and it draws people to it and it makes it a really good community. And you have people then that are um that that are kind of bonded in that way, that are that are like, ah, I live in Lakewood. That's great. You have it. and I think, you know, the between the um the amenities and the the um the, the, the kind of character, not only the homes, but of the city itself. It's just a great place for us to live. We love it. And then it kind of circles back to that. You've got this place of comfort and, and enough amenities and culture in it. And then you're just, by sheer location, you're close to the airport, you're close to downtown. So we, you can imagine, you know, between uh, the virtue of the, the, the jobs that, that my wife and I have and um, our friends in other cities, a lot of times, you know, we're talking to people that are thinking about coming into Cleveland either to visit, for work, or, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the, the you know, Relo friends are like, hey, can you talk to my friends? Or, or friends of friends in other cities say, hey, you're in Cleveland. Can you, can you talk to my friend? They're taking a job there. And whether it's about recruiting them in or helping them assimilate when they're or, or find their way when they are here. We're big fans, and I, you know, I love, I love the East Side too. I think you know, like Shaker, Cleveland Heights, and the culture there, as they have a lot of similar attributes, and they have probably a longer history at it than, than Lakewood. <laughs> sure, um, in terms of just the museums and the, you know, the Cedar Lee and all that stuff. We're big advocates, and 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 you know, tell people like this. Uh, you know, we want to recruit them and bring them to Lakewood because, uh, because of all those things. That's cool. Your favorite joint in Lakewood, where you like to. Get a good meal or a good drink. I I like humble a lot. I like salt a lot. I think those are the two that come to mind. I like the fact that we have a lot of different and, yeah. and new restaurants in Cleveland. I like humble because it's close to my house and it's a nice, you know, cool place to go and it's you know, they have a nice, you know, outdoor space. And salt is something we stumbled on more recently. I just like the the, the food there. Pure W is always always a good staple. Best happy hour in Northeast Ohio. And the best view. Yeah, it's a great view. Uh, yeah. Well, listen, Todd, man, thanks for coming in today and talking with us. We really appreciate your time in the studio. And we'll let you off the hot seat. And hopefully you'll come back and, uh, and join us soon sometime. I love it. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. I want to thank all the great people involved in making this podcast, especially our guests who took the time to join us for this interview. Executive producer, me, myself, and I, producer Bridget Coyne, audio engineers Eric Coltnow and Dave Douglas. Startup Lakewood is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Subscribe to Startup Lakewood on your favorite podcast app or go to evergreenpodcast.com. And for you entrepreneurs out there, keep struggling. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport, as danger lurks around every corner. 
they were able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 